Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week we're gonna we're gonna talk about a movie. Talk some bull. We we're gonna talk some bull. We are discussing 1980s Raging Bull, a sports biopic. <laughs> I'm going with biopic because I might hate that word as much as I hate this movie. Oh no, spoiler alert. It reminds me of the word, rhymes with the word myopic, which is what this film what is. What this film is, yes. Before we get started, uh-huh. I challenge you to tell me how your week was without saying, actually, it was good. Uh, let's see. Um... I was like, are you going to look for synonyms for each of those terms? I, I don't know. I We last recorded when? I don't know, a year and a half ago. It was, it's was. it been a while. It's been over a week. All right. So I, I had a tolerable good time. A tolerable good time. Until I saw this film. Uh, and then it's become this long slog of, of me saying, I'm not ready to record yet. I'm not yes. ready to record yet. I don't have enough rage in my body, or I have too much rage in my body, and I'm not ready to record yet. Something like that, yes. I have to have, is it the baby bear that has the perfect things? I need the baby bear's amount of rage <laughs> to do this podcast, because otherwise I will explode, and nobody wants that. I mean, somebody might want it, but you're not going to get it. You might get it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Thanks. <sighs> this is a rough rock. watch. All right. Are we going to get into it? Well, why not? Do you want to lead us through this, or do you want me to take the um, reins? You did some research on the, the I, making of the I did some research the into the making of the film. Do you want to do that? Do you want to start there? Or yes, do you want to start and from discovered the movie? that it was really instigated by Robert De Niro, who wanted to play the part. Okay. Who found Jake LaMotta's book. And it was, Is the book also called Raging Bull? I believe so, yes. Makes sense. It's what he was referred to as. Yes. Yes, Raging um, Bull, well, and, my and, story. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> It's a title that probably will be lost to modern readers. It's not like... Actually, it would make a really great play on words if you're doing like an episode of Grimm or something. Sure. And Raging Bull is a Besson. <laughs> yeah, like a Minotaur. Right, exactly. There we yeah, go. Yeah. See, we've already improved this. <laughs> he brought up uh, the idea of the film to Martin Scorsese, with whom he'd worked several times already. And... Uh, both, I believe it was Taxi Driver and before that, Mean Streets, or after that. I'm okay. not sure which one. I believe Mean Streets was first, but don't quote me on that, y'all. <laughs> so he brought up the idea of working with him again on this particular film, and they found a writer, and it took several drafts of the story to get through to what he wanted. I see Paul Schrader listed here as a screenplay writer, but he is not the final, final, No, right? no, no. Paul Schrader. Who, who wrote Taxi Driver. Who wrote I, Taxi Driver and The Last Temptation of Christ mm-hmm. and Bringing Out the Dead with so Scorsese. Works with Scorsese a lot. And also on his own did films like Hardcore, which I will always remember. Is there um, sex in it? It is about George C. Scott, who's a perfect actor for a Paul Schrader film, is the very angry father, very religious father of a young woman who goes uh, missing and then winds up in the hardcore pornography scene in the 70s. Did she go missing on purpose or did she get trafficked? She went missing on purpose and then she gets trafficked. Mm. And oh, cool. It's a twofer. He winds <laughs> up as her father going out to rescue her. and uh, he. It's a taken situation. Well, it's, it's sort of... It, it, 
although the emphasis is really on him trying to make the associations with being very devout and making the associations with people inside the adult film industry to try to find his daughter. He's He has a different set of skills than Liam right. Neeson does. I understand. Although in the end, it winds up being the same because, as I've said uh, so many times, Paul Schrader does not know how to end a movie. He likes to be super violent and then fade to black. Not even fade to black. Hard cut black right. screen. <laughs> He's uh, and some of his films. I mean, we've. Well, uh, but this isn't. Does this? So does he? Does he distance himself from this one? Or? No, no, no. Uh, he 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 produced the film. Okay. Now, what we'll be talking about when we eventually get, I'll talk to about that scene when we get to it, which is his prison scene, uh, the scene where Jake Lamont is arrested, um, for possibly trafficking young women because this is a great, great guy, right? Um. Do we want to start with my number one problem with this movie? Yeah. So there's a, that scene is actually, and we'll talk about it when we get there, is the scene that made both De Niro and um, Scorsese go, well, wait a second, his interpretation of how we should shoot that is in no way, shape, or form what we want to do with this film. God, yeah. And this so their vision he was too extreme for this them. This story or right. this book. To the screen, just didn't match. Right. He was too extreme for them. Um, and again, I, I shouldn't say bad... Th- Paul Schrader's actually a very good filmmaker, but it's... he He's just really strange and very tortured. I thought Scorsese and his very kind of uh, Catholic storytelling is tortured. Schrader is even more tortured okay. than he is. But... Um, but anyhow, so they distanced themselves from that, got another writer. They rewrote much of the film themselves. Mm-hmm. They mm. po- called that in... That kind of makes sense. Yeah. Because this... Um, what was it? Not, let me look at the nominations for this movie. Because sure. it, it won... but He won Best Actor, and it won Best Editing. And then it was nominated for Picture, Director, Actor, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Cinematography, Editing, Sound. I noticed none of the things listed are screenplay and i Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of the problems with this movie well a lot of the problems with the movie part of this movie come from the screenplay right the structure of it is um baffling to me not because i don't understand what they're doing Mm -hmm. i don't understand why they're doing it i don't understand the why the why is the missing piece in a lot of things that we're going to talk about, um, I think, right. it, and, for and, me. But, yeah, go uh, ahead. Listening to Schrader talk about his part in the film, that's exactly what he was attacking. He felt that quite often when we see a movie, we see a person go through some an arc of redemption. Yes, uh, and an then, arc of any kind of yes. all would be great. <laughs> and that he, uh, the main character sees the light, so to speak, and they wind up going and um, making him uh, amends and atoning for themselves. And that's basically the, the story outline that we see. His emphasis was, he goes, when people actually make huge changes like this, they rarely make them in one big turn. No, They of often yeah. do it more incrementally. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to show a person who walked, you know, every step forward was another step back and, or two steps back and, eventually gets to some point where he can try to reconcile with his brother, which is another point that we'll see. And that was his idea for the film. And that's, that's really, that's interesting given the final structure of the film. Right. And so it's almost as if I want to get Schrader to write 
novels where the experience of it is less you can have an experience like that on paper. Yeah. Then and, and watching it in a film, it gets sort of unsatisfying. How this wound up, as you mentioned, on the thrills list, it, uh, I it, don't know. I don't know. We'll start. Let's yeah. Let's start mm. there. Okay. Is this movie thrilling? Um, I think that the the boxing scenes are really really well done, and I think you are sure. watching a master filmmaker take you through the story of a complete asshole, <laughs> and so that's the problem. I have and nothing I would argue to that. Right. The way that this film is structured takes away a lot from Scorsese. Right. I am not seeing really his filmmaking in this because of the weird way that this movie is structured. And also the fact that, yes, our main character uh, is a fucking dickbag. And he and, and as we're talk, as we were watching it, we were watching uh-huh. it with our roommate and she's like well, you know, it's a, you know, a story of why why men are like this. And I'm like, except we don't get why. We don't get his backstory. We mm. don't know why he is the way that he and is. And that's again, that's something that Schrader has said, well, I, I don't want to lay something, you know, something bad happened in his childhood. This is why he's that way. And it isn't. It's, right. it's there are literally millions of men. Mm-hmm. And especially if we scan the the time period between 1941, which right. is the oldest point in this movie, and 1980, which is the point when this movie was made, right? Mm-hmm. Millions and millions and millions of dick bag men that are like this. I can understand our roommate Stephanie's her idea about it's. I think what she was expressing was more why men do the things that they do. But not we still don't have a why. Why he was ever motivated? Like his motivation is almost completely missing in this film. Yes. We don't know yeah. why he's an asshole. We just see through him proving it over and mm-hmm. over and over again that he is an asshole. And I would argue an irredeemable asshole. And so I have to watch two hours and nine minutes of an irredeemable asshole. Upside, sometimes he gets the shit kicked out of him. Right. But, he, yeah, there's there's these, there's this kind of arc Mm -hmm. to his professional life. And his professional life and his personal life are basically viewed totally separately. Right. You see the fights and what's going on in the fights and you see him treating women terribly and his brother terribly. Right. And And they're basically interspersed and the only thing that's holding that together is a thread of time. Mm -hmm. Now, we start, though, in 1964, we go back to 1941, and then we kind of surpass 1964 and go forward, right? right. Like, that's kind of, there's, it's like a, like, a, like a number six. It goes like that, right? But And that in itself was innovative at the time for American films, for mainstream sure, American films. The, yes, there wasn't a 20 right. years previously or yeah, whatever, which you know, is in every now film that now. Now that J.J. Abrams has completely blown that one, it's... Yeah, he, that's a, and, yeah. I'm not going to take that away from that. No. It, it's, a, it's, a little bit in, it's a little bit interesting. Mm-hmm. But it even loses something for me as we open in 1964, we see him rehearsing a comedy bit, basically, right. is what we're seeing him do. And he looks like garbage. Mm. <laughs> he looks bad, right? He's balding. He's heavy. His nose has been broken so many times. <laughs> it basically looks like a sponge just mushed onto his face. Um, and then we go back to 1941 when he is a peak athlete. And mm. 
and you think, oh, well, this is what, look, look how far he's fallen. But as soon as he opens his mouth and starts talking, I'm like, oh, no, he hasn't actually fallen that far because he was always. No, we talked about something last week or last time that we, I guess we were doing. um, Rocky was last week. Right. We were talking about Martin Scorsese and the way he handles violence as opposed to, or I guess as a week before, um, someone like Quentin Tarantino. Sure. Okay, yes. Yeah. And how... And since then, I've actually heard some interesting stories about the way that Guillermo del Toro handles violence and Mm -hmm. how he, you know, the infamous scene in um, Pan's Labyrinth where somebody got their face cracked by a bottle. Where you're, like, looking at it for about four seconds longer than you want to be. Something that he actually saw in real life. Uh Uh-huh. And he, he, I think he, he is translating that scene the way that it is seared into his mind, right? right? Like, that's that's what And so I think that one of the things that I can absolutely, one of the Martin Scorsese-isms, aside from the insistent profanity, um, is the is the very realistic approach to violence, which I appreciate in this movie. Sure. There's a huge difference, and they set that up in the film, between what happens in a ring and what happens in real life. Also, Although he doesn't know how to make those He doesn't know how to make that distinction. He's fighting everyone. And, and a trigger warning here. Mm. There's significant abuse. Uh, yes, there um, is. He lays out a woman. He fully punches his wife in the face Mind and you, knocks her out. Not just It's not just a guy punching his wife no, in the face. No, he is a... This is the middleweight champion of the world. Right, at the time of that thing, this woman in he the was face. the middleweight champion in the world. That's, yeah, that's the other thing is like, that's you see crazy. him go through his cheating scandal and the next thing we see is him having a title fight. Right. And I'm just like, what? How are these... Right. How... Are, how did we get here? So, but to, to, anyway, yeah. to, to start the film, it starts in 1941. No, well, it starts in 1964. Well, I mean, the, after yeah. that opening yeah, scene, right. 1941. Back to 1941. And he has a fight against Jimmy Reeves, which is actually everything that was described in that opening scene, mm-hmm. which is the thrilling part to me. That was really well done. Mm-hmm. Actually happened. Believe it or not, that's no exaggeration. There was a fight with a guy who, according to the rules, despite the fact that he was unconscious at the end of the round, still won the fight. Right, because there was no knockout. There's right. technical knockouts, but there's no actual knockouts yeah. that end a fight with a win. They're, they're judges. There are judges constantly through this thing. Although, at one point, it's clear that he keeps letting these things go to judges right. and then gets mad when he loses, and I'm like... When I was watching fighting, what I knew immediately was, don't let it go to the I fucking think judges. That in, he, Finish right, the we'll, fight. We'll talk about that <laughs> afterwards, because I have a theory about that, too. Um, but I also don't know the history of boxing, right. go, what scoring, you, and things like that. What you couldn't, what, what's evident here right away is that the rules have always been sort of crooked. Mushy. And, it, favoring The fact that there are people, split right? decisions in something like boxing is wild. But because he, they're not going, he, there are this many hits, there mm-hmm. are this many misses, there are this many swings, and this many... They're not counting them. It's literally like... Well, they count them, but it like doesn't go better, anywhere towards the judges. There are right. three judges, and you can have the CompuBox stats that show how many punches they threw as opposed to how many connected, but that never but goes that's into the, their no, decision. That, that's being, I think, feel like that isn't even being tallied at the moment, right? right that's like, being tallied for the audience. Oh, is it? Yeah, but, even, but the thing is, like the judges, 
That's well, impressive because yeah. that's especially when they well, that's blurry why it's like a, that. It's a computer doing it. Um, Even in 1941, I'm well, talking not about in 40, now. Okay. That's, uh, I'm right. talking about in the time of the At the time, now, yes, yeah. a computer, an AI can pick that. But at the up. same time, it still doesn't affect the decision that the judges make. There's still? no instant replay. Oh, There's that's no, wild. So yeah, boxing has always had very weird rules, and it's always very prejudicial and whatever. So in this case, Jimmy Reeves is dragged unconscious from the ring, but he still but wins, he wins the fight. fight. Yeah. Which starts a riot. Which, which is Jake Lamada's first loss. Right. It starts a riot. Um, there is some really, that scene, there's a piece of action in that film, in that scene, where a woman's trampled, but that yes. actually happened. Yeah, that's what They that tell the organist to start playing the national anthem because hopefully people will rise to their feet and stop rioting. That actually happened. So that scene, it gets you used to a couple of things. First of all, what little sympathy you can marshal for Jake LaMotta is that he's not going to get a break. And we should start with... The two, like the two main people in this movie. Well, mm-hmm. the, there are three main people in this movie. It's Jake Lamada, played by Robert De Niro. Right. Um, it's Joey Lamada, Jake's, and <laughs> Jake. I I'm unclear what his name is because his brother calls him Jack. Right. With no, it's in the subtitles, but it's also what Pesci is saying. Joe Pesci plays Joey mm-hmm. Lamada, his uh, brother and uh, manager, train. Trainer, like he's right. He was a boxer himself. His at one job point. appears to be minder. Jake's he, entourage, yeah. whatever Jake needs. Keep I don't know that from, he has a job outside now, of that. The, what we should also specify, uh, what will become clear very soon, is that Jake ref, um, refuses to have a manager. He doesn't want someone taking from his take, so he just has his brother around, and he's doing his job himself. Gotcha. And he's also refusing to be beholding. In some ways, it's good to the local mobster who keeps, who's played by Coach from <laughs> Nicholas yes, Colasanto yeah. from um, Cheers, which is really funny watching him play this kind of guy. Which I didn't recognize, but I could recognize the voice. Um, and he wants to put him up, but again, with the realization that at some point that guy's going to ask you to take a dive. Yeah. If if the odds look like you're doing them, you're going to win. He's going to take a dive. Yeah. Or he's going to ask you to take one for money. Um, so Jake is trying very hard to keep independent of that. And that's that and the but fact Joey that... But Joey is in with right. his mafia um, boss and his various goons. That's the, that's, the, that's the people you see most other than the main three right. is this group of mafiosa. Ma- I don't know if that's... Mafiosos. Is that what it is? Yep. I don't know. I don't know how to... Pluralized words that aren't real. <laughs> I don't even. I, those those feel like bastardized Italian that aren't. Well, like, a, so okay. I don't even know. Also, there's a lot of bastardized Italian, and yes, there's a lot of. If it wasn't for the fact that this is an Italian filmmaker, Italian American filmmaker, would seem racist. it would seem horribly <laughs> racist. Yeah. You I know had what, to, though? You could be a self-hating Italian and be racist. I, I had to look up the word jamuk. <laughs> it's like, what is it? Mamaluk? No. Mama look, that was it. It's like, what is it? What did that mean? Yeah, Mama you look? looked it up. You're like, wait, that's a thing. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's introduce the most upsetting part. Well, nah, one of the most upsetting parts <laughs> of this movie. Oh, it gets, yeah, it gets pretty bad. Oh, you want the me to sw- do it? No, 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 no. no. Okay, so they There's... are hanging at a Bronx swimming pool, uh-huh. and Jake puts sights on a 15-year-old girl. Now, this is Vicky. Uh-huh. She is 15, 
like in the real story, mm-hmm. she was that young. Right. It's nineteen forty one. Um, it's fortunate she's played by a woman, Kathy Moriarty. Kathy Moriarty, who's a very good actress, who is a very good actress, and who was of age at this time. But she, she was, was what yeah. ni- you said she was, she was 19. nineteen. She's nineteen while they're filming this. I will tell you that I think they age her up in the swimming pool scene, especially. Right. I'm like that is a thirty year old woman, <laughs> so this is kind of okay. It's, it's very funny. The film is in black and white. Yes, that is the other thing about this whole and movie. And they really... I wondered if we were going to go from color to black and white and back and forth. Like, I would have put We them... did. When? That's the interesting part. Oh, it's hard to remember that. I was going to say, the fights should be in black. It the, should the, be everything in black is in color except for the home movies. Everything is black and white. Oh, yeah, yeah. The I home mean, everything's movies. in black and white except yes. for the home movies that you see later on, which are in this sort of washed out color. And I thought that was an interesting kind of directorial touch, too. That is interesting. I would think you put the fights in black in in color for the red. For the red, you do it for the red. You don't though. Martin Scorsese doesn't. He says no. Fuck that noise. It's a black and white movie. But yeah, they <laughs> see this fifteen-year-old uh, girl. It's played She's by 15. Kathy Moriarty. This is She's her first 15. part, by the way. She, She's uh, a fifteen-year-old. Interestingly enough, Joe Pesci got cast. And he started directing um, Martin Scorsese towards who he thought would be good in this part and good in that part. And so there's a good deal of... Pesci's got a lot of influence, huh? Well, in his neighborhood, he did. He cast people directly from his neighborhood. Oh, that's cool. And so he says, well, there's this really pretty girl. She shows up all the time, you know, and she goes dancing at this club and whatever. So it's like, we should, you know, go talk to her. She might be perfect for this part. Or one of the other actors uh, isn't even a professional actor. He's just sort of like a a comedian and entertainer that he got to play one of the gangsters and stuff like that. So I will say mm-hmm. Jake Lamont is younger here than I thought he was. Okay. I thought he was in his early thirties. He's that in his twenties, right? True. He's like 20. Okay. He, he was born in 1922. So he's 19 when he meets her and she's 15. So that's, now mind you, he's already married and we've seen, upsetting. we yes, see, he's married. Um, and they don't talk, they, they only, the uh, only, we see two wives right. in this movie. He's been married seven, uh, seven, seven he times He was married by the end seven yeah. times total, yeah. Which, but, ladies, I'm going to need you to stop marrying this man. <laughs> Anyways. He, uh, he, he's dead now, so nobody else can right. marry him. <laughs> you think, maybe. Um, his whole thing is to wild her away with stories about how he's going to be the champion someday. He has to fight Sugar Ray Robinson, um, which becomes an ongoing nemesis in this film. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's really hard to get into the details of it because there's a lot of scenes where nothing particularly happens. It's Yeah. So there is this, in 1943, uh-huh. um, he defeats Sugar Ray Robinson, and then they have a rematch three weeks later because nobody will fight either of them. Right. He defeats him, the first one, and the second one, it looks like he should win the fight but it goes to robinson because uh-huh. judges and he had uh, enlisted in the army and was leaving the following week right. because world war ii guys um and then it's 1945 and he marries vicky because she's old enough now ew big ew yeah we have to say that joey does a really Joey's constantly trying to bring that's okay, that there. That's not necessarily um 
thrilling. It's tense, though. And I understand that's an interesting dynamic to the film. I understand that there's a lot of tension towards Joey constantly trying to keep Jake from blowing up. Yeah, Joey at the is least thing. just constantly, like, he's like, he tries to be Jake's sort of relief valve. Mm-hmm. He tries to talk him down. He he allows him to fucking punch the shit out of him constantly. Like, not, like, you said at one point, there's mm-hmm. a there's a punching bag, so you don't have to actually punch your brother. But <laughs> right. he wears this thing, so... Because here's the thing about Jake LaMotta. He punches better when he's punching a person. Right. He doesn't punch so good when it doesn't have feelings. Because he's a psychopath. He's also <sighs> monstrously insecure. He's un... The fragility of this man's right. masculinity is absurd. He believes it's that his hands are wild. small like a woman's, as he says it, and that he has to be at very close range to sort of wail into somebody, which is probably a good idea anyhow, but but he he's blaming this on the size of his hands. And he, he gets mad that he's uh-huh. never going to be the best in the world because the best in the world is the heavyweight champ and he can't and fight he can't that fight heavy. And he can't fight Joe Lewis. Like, good, good. Yeah. You don't have to fight because Joe you've Lewis. Got 30, he's got 30 pounds on him and or on you, and when you gain that 30 pounds, it ain't going to be fighting right. weight. <laughs> it's going to be later on. French fry right. weight. <laughs> and I am not fat shaming him. No. That is not what's happening here. But this man cannot fight Joe Lewis. He would die. Not least of which because he never puts it. He, like Rocky, never puts his fucking hands up and covers his face. So he gets hit in the face so much. There is so much. Just to warn people also, um, there is so much blood in this film. Blood and sweat. There is a lot of blood and sweat in this movie. There's a lot. Uh, it's, It's hard to take at times. So we keep shifting back and forth and, you know, in time, Jake, uh, he has a fight coming up with a guy named Tony Gennaro. It basically goes, so from the 1964, mm-hmm. it goes back to 1941. And then I think it just goes as we go. And, and the, the way that it's structured is here's a fight. Right. And you might get a little bit around the fight, but mostly here's a fight. Uh-huh. And then here is his personal life up until well, yeah. his next fight. And then his personal life. He like a scene from his personal his fighting life is basically between what it is. fights. Yeah, right. but it's the fights kind of in order. And I would say there's definitely more boxing in this than there is in Rocky. Yeah. Um, there's also more men punching women directly in the fucking face. Which there isn't any in Rocky. Great. Makes it a fantastic film. However, Best picture? Probably, yes, I think so. Still, <laughs> less punching in the face than happened in Hateful Eight. Also, yeah. God damn it. Oh, uh, punching women in the face. God it's, damn it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and, well, almost less than The Wicker Man, too, but whatever. Um... But, uh, yeah, so the Tony Gennaro fight is, the reason why that comes up is that he's a young, good-looking kid who has sponsorship. He has all sorts of um, support. And the thing is, Vicky says he's good-looking. That's all she says. He's young. He's good-looking. You can take it. And the the only, despite the fact that she's praising him. Yeah. Praising Jake. All he hears is she wants to fuck this dude, which is not what she fucking says. Why does she say he's good-looking? Why does he say, why did she say that? What? Are you after him? Do you want to be with him? And so 
what he does to <laughs> yeah it's he beats the living day he yeah. really mauls this guy's face up really bad and even the announcers ringside are all like he's not so pretty anymore yeah that guy... yeah well that was his goal right he aimed for his fucking face he was trying to de-prettify this man right it's not a pie. It's not a. It's not a pie. If he's less attractive, that doesn't make you more attractive. You dumb motherfucker. I'm sorry. I just this dude. It's he, followed it's by just, another for scene. Being so uh-huh. masculine, it's so fragile. It is like a fucking a soap bubble. His masculinity so fragile will break. And then apparently he's just. I don't know. He's he okay, and here's the interesting part too is that he, although it doesn't happen during this period of time, but later on he's openly cheating on his wife. Yes. As a matter of fact, he got this wife while he was cheating on his first wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was married when he right. started taking Vicky out. And so, but at the same time, how dare she say something like an offhanded comment about this other guy? Yep. Or spend any time with other people, which at one point she Yes, does. which is the next scene that happens, yeah. the big scene, which is that she's at the Copacabana. The Copa. And um, Joey is out with uh, another girlfriend, because he's married, too, to Teresa Saldana. Who's... Was he with somebody? I thought he was just with the guys at that, that when he saw her out. No, I think he was just with, he was with a, uh, a woman, I believe. Okay, because I and, know that there's another scene where they go to the club. I right. think it's the same club. And he's like, yeah, but don't tell, what was her name, Teresa, his right. wife, because I'm not be, going to be taking her. So he brings some yeah, other chick to that. But that's with, that's with Jake and right. Vicky. And I'm like, so Vicky's not going to tell your wife either? I feel like Vicky's going to tell your fucking wife. I also feel like your wife fucking knows. Right. They all, all these women well, know. Well, the, the, the opening scene, um, with or the actual opening scene, not the the opening scene proper, but the scene after the first boxing match, yeah. is him saying, "Look, look what I was able to do. See, you thought I was fooling around all this time." It's what he tells his wife. Jake does because he was fooling around all that time, right? But it, it, he defends it, saying, "No, I spent all that time training." And training. I don't know what muscles he was training, but it wasn't his his little lady sized fists. Oh, lady fists. <laughs> It's Which fine. You is, put gloves on. It's Lady fine. Fist sounds like a really cool kung fu movie with Lady Fist Michelle sounds Yow. like a like a never mind. Anyhow, kink.com. What? <laughs> so at this point, um, Joey sees Vicky with the rival gangster. This this guy who's constantly trying to. He's talk been to hitting on her right. since she was fifteen. Also, he when. Like in in the pool scene, mm-hmm. that dude is sitting at right. the table next to her, trying to get her attention. The, that that pool scene is super weird. We were talking about right. it. go go back to the pool scene. It's like the third scene in the movie, uh-huh. and Joey and Jake are there talking. J- Vicky and some friends are there talking, and these uh, mobster guys, friends of Joey's that we see consistently through mm-hmm. the film, are talking, and it is hard to tell. Who's sitting at what table? How they're actually next to each other? Like, and it's done on purpose, so you don't really see who's together and who's separate and who's talking to who, and who's within earshot of who when they're talking. Right. But it's it's a little yeah. It's it. I was just like, I can't get a 
I can't get a full picture of this whole scene, like where everybody is in relation to each other, which obviously isn't on purpose. Um, but it was, yeah, it was it sort of disorienting right off the bat. Because it's like, like I said, like the third scene. Well, yeah, so she sees, he sees uh, Vicky with Salvi, yeah. the guy, his, yeah. his arrival, and these other, his whole crew of guys there. And Joey goes over there and calls her out and just yeah. says, what are you doing? Why are you here with these people? And then she's saying stuff like, well, he, he won't sleep with me anymore. Yeah, right. She's had two kids, I think, at this right. point. Um, she's he also won't. over 18, so that's a real turn right. off. Um, she knows that he's out with all these other broads. Right. She's supposed to just stay home and, and do nothing. She's like 22 also, or something like that. Having she's had the example young. of Joey's wife, she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, yeah. Yeah, so I got mm-hmm. myself pretty and I'm out here. I'm not doing anything with these guys. Right. But they're buying me drinks and they're treating me nice, the things that my fucking husband doesn't do. <laughs> Bitch. At which point... And Joey won't punch Vicky, so Joey punches Salvi. Oh, Joey goes nuts. He doesn't just punch, he punches, and then he does attack him with a car door. I'm like, you're going to kill this man. This is (sighs) a really good example of the difference between what we saw in a ring and an actual street fight where he starts with breaking a bottle on someone's face. Chases out of fucking nowhere. And Salvi is his friend. Right. So Salvi does not see this shit No, does not see it coming. Which is dumb. Because you got to know that the Lamada boys are fucking crazy. Right. Especially about each other. Well, see, because Salvi is always going to, is, is keeps trying to bring Jake into the fold. Like, this will be a, a... And Jake is like, Yeah, Jake, like this will be big. He's doing this in front of his boss so that he's, look what I scored. I scored, you know, the next heavyweight champion. We can set him up for fights. We can use him for gambling. We can do all this other stuff. Yeah. So he's been really trying to ingratiate himself with Joey and with Jake, and he can with Joey, but not with Jake, because Joey actually likes people, and Jake does not. Yeah, he does not like people at all. He, you know, there, there's people for fucking, and there's people for beating up, and that's it. And then there's his and brother, everybody baby. else is trying to steal his cookies, right? So fuck him. And guess. that's he's, he <sighs> is becoming increasingly. Jake is over the course of the film, increasingly suspicious of of everybody. Joey paranoid. Yeah, and, and, although I understand why, because I said it when, anyways, mm-hmm. we're not we're not there yet. Um, right, but Joey actually went to the extent of getting, of beating up. Joey beats the shit out of this dude. A mob boss's. Like, right hand. Right like, hand. He's one of the, he's one right. of the main dudes. And then he, then they have a fucking, the, the, the scene, the next scene where Como, the, the, right. the main mobster, right, like the head of this, um, this group here is like say you're sorry to each other it's very much like a bully like when you get when you get in a fight in elementary school or you're bullied in elementary school and they make you apologize and then not talk to each other anymore you've right. got to meet it and now you've got to be friends we're not fucking friends shake hands whatever uh, but then that's when Como was like Jay can have a shot at the title uh, middleweight champion which Como uh, what decides? I guess he. Yeah, he does. Because he makes all the matches, and he has a caveat, which is you have to throw the next fight against. First, you gotta. Yeah, you're fighting Billy Fox, and you gotta lose. And so, I missed that part. Right. I missed the part where Como was like, he does this, and he gets the middleweight championship. Right. Um, or he gets a shot at the middleweight. He gets a shot at the middle. Yeah. 
And they all know that he can do it because he's just been beating the hell out of everybody. <laughs> yeah. And so he does this. He throws this fight. Mm-hmm. But he throws it in, like, Such the dumbest an, fucking right. way. Like, he should have lost his... He shouldn't have ever been allowed to fight at it again. And he, the, the fact that they have to take measures to keep him from losing his, you know, his right to fight. Is that why it takes so long to right. get to the Middle Ages? Because this happens in 1947, mm-hmm. right? So we're now two years into his relationship with Vicky. She's got two little ones. Um, so she's 20 years old, okay? And he's 25. Um, and he, he, yeah, he fucking... First of all, he comes out and he punches Billy Fox real hard and then has to hold Billy up. Right. Because he did punch him too fucking hard. And then he just stands there. Literally just stands against the ropes with his arms down and allows this dude to just body punch him. Right. A lot. But he doesn't seem to... And he's just looking bored. Yeah, he does not seem to feel anything either, right. And I don't know if Billy Fox isn't hitting him hard or this dude is like a straight up lunatic. Both, maybe. I don't know. But, and then they, he gets fucking booed. And then he gets, they ask if he threw it and he was like, of course not. Right. And I'm like, uh, how did he not just get, I mean, I would think that a commission would strip him of the ability well, to fight Well, they tried to. Uh, it's clear it's, that he is throwing. Right. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't. Well, there's a whole very funny, mostly improvised scene where Joe Pesci, or Joey's character, like rakes him over the coals for this. You know, he says, "Okay, now put up your fists," and then he, and then Joe, or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe just drops on his back. Now, how hard was that? Like, yeah, just fall <laughs> down instead of just standing there like a wall while being right. pummeled. Like, it was so weird with just no look on your face. Uh huh. Like you had were thinking of England to get through it. Like it was. Well, he's so never odd. been knocked down, and that's one of his points of pride. Yeah. Never been knocked out. Never been knocked down. So he's just gonna stand there taking punches and go, okay, well, eventually. Um, because I didn't throw any punches, right. I'll lose this fight. Exactly. But like, what the fuck? It's it's so it's a good way to get brain damage. Actually, also that. Um, so he's, yeah, I guess he's suspended for uh, on suspicion of throwing the fight, oh, you think? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's two years or something before he's... And then he's reinstated. Mm. Yeah, eventually reinstated. And 49 is when he wins the middleweight championship, um, which he did, like, that's the thing. I, I go, at the beginning of the movie, I googled Jake LaMotta, because, and so I knew he held the middleweight t- uh, championship um, title from 49 to 51. But it was it's a weird because the 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 conversation that Joey and Como have mm-hmm. setting up the middleweight chance right. after the throwing of the fight, those two fights are actually pretty close together. Mm. And it is confusing as you're watching the movie, like, wait, he was just like fully suspended and now he's got a middleweight bout? Right. Like a championship bout? How did we get here? Like, yeah. and there's no connection. There's no connecting tissue except that sort of ephemeral conversation between his brother and the mob boss, and I, which I missed entirely what the, 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 the what the yeah. steps were going to be, especially given so just how badly he threw that fight. Where I was just like, why is he getting a chance to do anything? A championship? No, right. no, no, no. Um, although, 
Way to a mob boss. Way to, way for way for mob boss to hold to uh hold their word. He said, and he did. Uh, yeah. And then in the middle of his middleweight title, well, mm-hmm. he has the title. There is a scene where Vicky comes home, and Joey and Jake are sitting in the living room, and she comes in and kisses Joey on the mouth. Like it's it's not open mouth, it's right. not passionate or anything, but it's like a like a full peck on the mouth. And I was like, we're kissing on the mouth. We're kissing. You're kissing his wife on the mouth. I don't sense he will handle that very well. And immediately he's like, you're kissing my wife on the mouth now? I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, that leads to, and it goes on for a while, this interrogation of Joey. Yeah. Who refuses to answer the question whether or not he's sleeping with his wife. Yes, and he also refuses to answer what happened at the Copacabana when he beat the shit out of Sal. Right. Um, Because he knows... I think. I think Joey in his soul uh, knows that if he, if Jake hears that Vicky was out, right, he'll kill her. Something will go very bad. I think wrong. Joey is like, this motherfucker will beat her to death. Right. He won't even realize it's happened. He'll hit her three times and that'll be enough because he is the middleweight champion of the fucking world right, right. now. He doesn't. There's in this part too. There's this weird fat shaming. He he's not losing weight. Like he's he's at like one sixty eight, and right. it's like French fry weight. He does say that at one point. He's like, that's not what you're what you're gaining is not muscle. It's like beer and shit. Like yeah, he's he has to his biggest issue, and we later, learn later on that that was an issue that he felt held him back was he had trouble losing the weight for a fight, but he would always gain it because he wasn't very disciplined. During his career. No. He's not been very disciplined at any point in his life. Well, he hasn't been disciplined really for anything. At, so at like all. He flies into rages at the drop of a hat. He's, you know, he does all, he he doesn't, yeah, he he doesn't practice any kind of self-discipline. So he, the he, idea yeah. that he has to cut weight for the fight. And, and. This, uh, is a, this is a man who has absolutely no self-understanding. Right. Or He's not introspective at all. He's no. not introspective at all. He does feel innately entitled to whatever the fuck he wants. Uh-huh. Um, but I also think that he doesn't think that he deserves anything, which is why he's so afraid that everybody's like trying to right. fuck him at all at a, at every turn. Not like literally, but like trying to take his what's his right. Because he doesn't actually think he deserves any of it. Because this motherfucker needs all the therapy. <laughs> Just all of the therapy. It goes from Joey to Vicky. Yeah. And then Vicky very sarcastically says, well, I I fucked everybody in the neighborhood. Yep. I blah, blah, blah. Joey, Salvi, Tommy. Right. What do you want me to say? Because that's the thing. She says no and he won't let it go. She right. says no and he won't let it go. So what the fuck does she... What do you want? What do you want to hear? And so sarcastically, she's saying this because she has not fucked all of these people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's fucked Selfie or Tommy, but I know she hasn't fucked jo- Joey. I do not think that those no. two. We never see it, and I don't think Joey is that fucking no, stupid. Being the extent that Joey went through to he does care about her, right? He does because he cares enough about her not to get her killed. Yes, I think that's what it is. He and he's been he's known her since she was fifteen too. Everybody. Right. <laughs> Don't forget, they've grown up together. Ah, oh, these kids. Ugh, gross. Um, 
And then, yeah, she says, I fucked everybody. And then he, like, rages to Joey's house, which I just picture being, like, four doors down. Right. Like, I feel like they live very close to each other. Um, and she's following him, and he beats the shit out of Joey in front of his wife. Knocks him out, I think, in the kitchen, right. right? And then this is when he punches Vicky right in the fucking face and knocks her out as well. And when we see her later, the bruise on her face is so upsetting. Right. It's It looks like he broke her jaw. He could which have. I, he's the middleweight <laughs> champion of the world. Yes. This is and the... she's... A 22-year-old girl. Throws punches that knock out professional athletes. Yeah. All right? So, yes, he even pulling back, he will hit you harder right. than... Or she's maybe 24, right. 25 at this point. Hit you harder than I that you're expecting yeah. or and that you he's in this case deserve. he's clearly in a rage. Right. So he's not even... He's not monitoring his he's own... He's not... No. Mm-mm. And it's fucking insane. Um, yeah. So... Then we go back to another fucking fight. Right. Defends his title in 1950. And he calls Joey because this is the point where he loses. After that, he assaults him in his home. Right. Joey is done with him. Mm. Doesn't Just doesn't speak to him anymore. In in front of his wife. His wife is, uh, Joey's wife is trying to defend him from getting attacked. Yeah. Yeah. The, and his kids had to be ran, run out of the room really quickly when they. So it's yeah, it's just too humiliating and it's too much. Yeah, he can't do this anymore. And now that he doesn't have Joey, who was really his backbone, mm-hmm. and who was watching out for him. Yeah, he ends up declining, and then he loses his title to Sugar Ray Robinson uh, in 1951. Um, so they'd been fighting. That's the that's an eight year span between the first time right. we see them fight and the last time we see them fight. Uh, and then we go forward a little bit. It's 1956. Fucking Vicky's still with him at this point. And I don't know if this is true to the... Well, I tried to find a history of his marriages. Mm -hmm. And all I could find, he was married seven times. Right. And I'm just like, Vicky, get out. Well, she does. She She does. does. I know. But this is six years after he... Punched her in the face in right. his brother's house, and she's still with him. And I'm just like, she. He's now running. Is this the nightclub in Miami? Yeah, he's moved to. They've moved to Miami. He's got a nightclub that he names. Guess what he names it? He says, "Guess what it's called? It's called Jake Lamadas because fucking of course it is because this man is. What's the word you used earlier? Myopic. Yes. And sees nothing but himself. It's fucking wild. Uh, and that's when she comes up to the club in a, in a in a car, rolls down the window a little, and is like, "I'm leaving you." I had to get everything the kids. I'm you in the event that you show up and yep. try to do stuff like you did to Joey. No, not going to happen to me. Yep. She um, she's been putting uh, pieces in place so that she could just right. Go, and she does, and we we see him hitting on the women it's there. Like, but it's like a whole sleeping with the enemy thing. She's done the long con now. She's yeah. put all these things into place so that she can just slide out. Probably from the last time he hit her is when she started making this plan. You know what's wild too mm-hmm. is 
we've um, De Niro's now ga- gained a bunch of weight. Right. He's balding. Mm-hmm. His face looks like garbage. Mathematically, if this is what Jake Lovato looked like at this time, this is 1956. Right. He's 34 years old. Wow. He was born in 1922. Jesus. 32, 42, 52, 56. That is 30. That is a hard 34 years. Yeah. This man looks a cool 57. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like it's. And he gets worse because now she's left him and he is just right. a mess. Uh, and then, yeah, he's later arrested for, what do we say? Introducing underage girls to men at his club. Because, oh, that's right, the the scene. Oh, it's so gross. You guys, it's so gross. Um, the bartender is like, she, she's... Looks under 21, so I'm telling her I need an ID, and she doesn't have an ID, and he comes over, and he's like, how old are you? And she says, 21, and he says, can you prove it to me? And she kisses him, and anyone who kisses like that is 20, can get, can get, can drink in my club. That's what he says. Anyone who kisses like that can drink my club. And then he turns to the other girl sitting there and says, how old are you? She says 21, and he says, you want to prove it to me? Or can you prove it to me? And then it, this, and so, and then, of course, we find out that that girl was 14 years old. Um, yeah. And I guess he tries and fails to bribe his way out of that case using the jewels from the championship belt yeah. rather than actually just selling the belt itself. That's Rough, and guys. the fact that even the the person who he's trying to the fence that he's talking to is telling him why did you take the jewels? The belt itself is more important because of who you are. And the yeah. fact that you got it, and he just doesn't want to give up the belt. He, well, yeah, no, because it's his, right? And he is entitled to it. But he'll completely deface it and ruin it. Yeah, it's, just like his whole last life. Right. Um, in 1957, he goes to jail, and he's like. Crying and questioning his own, like, oh, whoa, it's a woe is me situation right. that is rough to watch. And then he gets back to New York City in 1958, and he sees Joey. And now we're, we're what, eight years in? Joey's got a real tight curl and a mustache. He's given real monk vibes, real, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub vibes in this. I was like, I see Tony Shalhoub. Uh, who and Joey's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I forgive you or whatever, but I still doesn't want to talk to him or have anything to do with him. And then we're back in 1964 where the movie begins. Right. So I guess we don't go past that. I assumed that all that stuff at the with the club in Miami was after. What we'd seen, it seemed worse, but no, he had, <laughs> he was still getting himself to this weird place. And he, and we see him do the, I could have been a contender scene. The Which is actually to me the, the really, probably the scene that more than anything else sums up the entire movie. Honestly, this thing could have been a short uh-huh. and been that scene. And I feel like just mm-hmm. that alone, with him in the makeup, right. looking the way that he looks, maybe with flashbacks to his fights, right? 
I could have been out in 10 minutes, you know? (laughs) And I would have probably gotten more out of it because him reading that scene, there's a, there's a real sadness about what the scene is and Mm -hmm. how it actually accurately represents his view of his life, not his actual life. Because everything that this motherfucker went through, he did to himself. Right. Now, that's what makes the scene work for me, is that he's giving the whole speech, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it on the waterfront, I don't know if we're going to see that at some point. Um, he tells, it's it's uh, Marlon Brando talking to Rod Steiger about how Marlon Brando was an up-and-coming fighter, Terry Malloy, and he gets asked to throw a fight. And that was the end of his career. And he's telling his brother, you should have taken care of me. Um, you should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me a little bit. I wouldn't have to take a dive just for the short money. You don't understand. I could have been. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. Instead, I'm just uh, instead of a bum, which is what I am. Yeah. He says that looking at himself in the mirror. Yes. And I think that's where yes. that's what Paul Schrader's whole version of and the story was going towards. And you could have put him looking at himself. Uh-huh. And then in the mirror, done scenes right. from his boxing, even even scenes from this movie, mm-hmm. him punching his right. brother, him punching his wife, him kissing these girls, like right. all of the things that he did, he did. He woke up in the morning and chose to do some stupid every right. day. He's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's and, his and fault. Uh, true to what you thought when we were watching the film is that yes, he was far worse than he appeared in the film. Um, but yeah, there's so much nastiness to him that you don't. We don't necessarily have to go into that. But I'm mean, judging purely on the film itself. Uh, what did you? I mean, overall, you just. Oh yeah, so it ends there, and then uh-huh. they say you know, the room's crowded, right? And he's gonna go out because he's basically doing stand up. He's doing he's... like monologues, and he's doing that kind of thing, and he's yeah. introducing strippers and stuff yeah. like that. It's and then that's and then at the end he says he starts to chant, "I'm the boss," while shadow boxing, and that's right. how it ends because this motherfucker has learned nothing. So what overall? Overall. Uh, De Niro is great in this movie. Mm-hmm. He got the what he award. is given to do. Uh-huh. He does beautifully. Uh-huh. I will say, I and we talked about it while it was happening. I was like, De Niro's a weird one because he is an attractive man, uh-huh. and then he sets his face in this sort of tight jawed, but also slack jawed way, right. and he does it. I think in a lot of his performances and it makes him instantly drop from like a 7.5 to a (laughs) 4 and because he does it so much I really feel like it is him because I know my understanding is that Robert De Niro the man Mm -hmm. the actor is extraordinarily shy and I feel like that set of his face is Robert De Niro the actor not the not the not the person that you would meet on the street, but right. the the one who is here to perform and be in a movie. He sets his face to that, and it's 
because I see a lot of his characters do that. And I don't, and it feels unnatural to his face, to his body. It Um. feels like the mask he puts on so he can be Robert De Niro movie star, Mm -hmm. which is a different person than Robert De Niro actor, I would even say. So now he's Robert De Niro movie star. And he was doing it a couple times in this movie, and I'm like, oh, it's so weird because, like, there'll be images of his face where I'm like, he's really got an attractive face, and then he will do that face, and I'm like, oh, no, his ankles. (laughs) Um... But he's very good, even as much as I hate the character Jake LaMotta. Mm-hmm. I don't come out at the end of it hating Robert De Niro, which is impressive because sometimes you watch a dude play an asshole right. and you're like, well, fuck that dude. And I can't even look at him in other yeah. things. He's got this layer that he puts between him and his asshole characters, which makes me want to see other Robert De Niro roles. So good job, dude. He, he, he <laughs> did a really great job. I think everyone... And I think Joe Pesci is fantastic in this. The casting in this movie. Joe the, Pesci just made his bones on this film. The thing is, so I, speak. I know <laughs> Joe Pesci as the obnoxious dude from the Lethal Weapon movies. Right. I've never seen him fucking act. And he's acting in this movie. He's great. And... I should watch other Scorsese movies, I think, to see him do the thing. He was a child actor at one point. Yeah. And that that, by the time that this film came around. Because he's so natural. Right. And he's such a weirdo. Right. Like, at no point do Mm. you ever see Joe Pesci in a movie and forget that it's Joe Pesci. Yeah. His voice is super weird. He moves like a mouse. Like, he's got very rodental... A rodentia? He's like a rodent. Okay, there we are. He's rodent You got there eventually. There is a an adjective that I am not going to be able to get. But just generally, yeah. he reminds he, me of a rodent. By this point in his career, he had been a child actor. He was transitioning away from acting altogether really? when he got called back into doing this film. And he began helping the director assemble the cast because they didn't have a great deal of money. Um, they went to the same producers who produced... Rocky, oddly enough, a Winkler and Chardoff to produce this film. Yes, that's right. Yeah, but, you noticed um, that when the producers like, wow, came the up. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I that worked in terms of the the boxing scenes for me is that Scorsese went through every boxing film he could with the editors and the cinematographer, yeah. and just like we can't do what they did before. We're going to have to do something different. Yeah. So he's doing tricks from Westerns. He's doing tricks from Kung yeah. Fu movies. Yeah, yeah. Zoom in fast, pull back fast, yeah. do a lot of rapid fire editing, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. He's he's editing it into this. So he created this, these really visceral kind of violent fights. Yeah. The last fight with Sugar Ray Leonard. There's a lot. It's a, They're also, they sound wet. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. Like, the the I understand why sound editing was a, was an right. option because there's some fucking foley work in this movie. And there's there's some revel, uh, revelations about the characters through the fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, that last fight with Sugar Ray Robinson, you see Vicky kind of like covering her face when he's just getting pummeled. Like he's now so he's sitting up against the, or yeah. resting on the ropes. Yeah, he can't lift his arms anymore. No, which. Hey, refs, stop the fucking fight. Right, and the fact that the refs The one thing about MMA, if you can't... Right. If you can't, what is it, um, intelligently defend... Right. They call the fight so that you don't die. And that that was... It was it was very brutal back in the day. It really well, it's was. It's still brutal, I mean, but it's yeah, yeah. It's still brutal, but 
now yeah. the things that happened to him wouldn't be allowed now. What I was very grateful for and was worried about the whole time uh, was that we didn't get a lot of racial slurs while he's fighting black people. No. We didn't. Um, in fact, we didn't get any. Not that I can remember. Not from them, mm-hmm. at yeah. least. Which I... Because I, I thought when he lost a fight by decision to uh, a black man that, that, that we might veer yeah. into the fucking... But we didn't, and I was grateful for that. But that's literally the only thing I'm grateful for for this movie. Well, there was... Yeah, I, I, I do see the sort of arc of redemption thing that the writer was trying for. I don't think it got realized... And I no, think that and the reason why you're watching because it is Jake LaMotta had not been right. redeemed by the end of this movie. The, it, well, because the, he uh, had learned nothing. And and the tentative I forgive you from Joey, if Joey's not back in his life, no the fuck he didn't. Right. He told you what you wanted to hear so you'd leave him the fuck alone. That's not But the idea that when he's looking in the mirror and he's able to say to himself, still externalizing it like he could have been a contender, that's supposed to be Because what he thinks he's doing is showing how good of a fucking thespian he is. Right. Which you thought he was in this movie, Jake LaMotta himself. I thought he might have been. I know that he made appearances in films. Yes. That's what I was looking. I was like, because I guarantee. He worked as a, like he coached um, De Niro for this part. Coached him in the boxing. He wanted him to practice because he has a really weird He's style. He's got a very specific style, right? Of, of boxing. So he coached uh, De Niro. De Niro apparently is one of those actors, like uh, like Bruce Lee, a generation, well, not even 10 years before, I guess, who um, who just discovered like, oh, he w- Bruce was an actor, or Sifu Lee, was an actor who just discovered, wait, I can do this, and then wound up taking it to phenomenal degrees the same way Lamotta is saying Robert De Niro could have been an actual fighter. He fights like one. He thinks like one. He, I've been sparring with him. He could have actually gone in the ring and fought. And so that's so why something in his personality right. clicked with with boxing itself. Right. That's so cool. He said, "Yeah, I didn't even have to do yeah, much." Yeah, because you, you never felt like, "Why is this actor in this ring?" Right. Exactly. You, you don't like I said. He's great in this. As much as I never want to see another. <laughs> fucking frame of this movie y'all i he, did not enjoy this movie he was he put on the 60 pounds for the film near the end of it yeah which that wasn't necessary right. honestly because he's you don't see him if he'd been in like um, right. athletic shorts and and sparring or something right. at this heavier weight okay put on 60 pounds well, we don't know what wound up getting cut because there's a lot true. of stuff that got changed but during the last minute. But what's in the movie, he's yeah. wearing these tacky-ass suits from the 60s and absolutely could have been padded out without Which, a problem. And it's funny to, to bring that... And he's that, got so much prosthetics on his face. Yeah. It carries a lot of it. Now, what you do notice, and I did notice it, his wrists get chunkier, his hands get bigger. Mm-hmm. Like, right. your hands will get fatter. That is right. a thing that happens. Um I just found out that, like, 90% of the plus-size models that you see mm-hmm. um, are straight-sized, which I already knew, but they're physically wearing padding mm-hmm. because the people who want the photos taken want slender ankles, slender wrists, slender faces, <sighs> but they 
don't want the clothes to hang weird. So they literally put a body stocking on and put all the styro like foam pieces in mm. to build this body with slender face. So I did because I just read right. that. I did look at his hands in specifically in the last scene in the, when he's doing right. the, the contender speech, um, and I'm like, oh yeah, he's got he's ch- like chunkier hands, right? Like, exactly. Like wider, yeah. heavier hands. The 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 funniest. And the most probably disturbing thing that wasn't included in this take of the film uh, was a scene that um, Paul Schrader wrote. Uh-huh. And I'll describe it for you. You can decide whether or not you want to keep this because it's kind of... <laughs> uh, if it would have added time, I'm going to go ahead and say no, but please tell me about uh, it. <laughs> Paul Schrader, the scene where Jake is in prison arrested, yeah, yeah. Winds up breaking his hand, punching this wall. Yes. The Schrader's version, this is when Scorsese and um, and De Niro said, yeah, I don't think he has a clear idea of what this project's about. Okay. Um, I like that they, though, continue to work with they right. when They were like... Yeah. Well, and that <laughs> was it. Schrader like, afterwards says, yeah, this, this was not a film for me to this work was, on because yeah. I didn't get it. But I could get, like, the tortured part of it. I couldn't get, like, the whole boxing thing or the whole... <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get it. Yeah. In that scene, the scene was supposed to be one prolonged scene of Jake LaMotta attempting to masturbate. That you would have hated that. And I know that that is a the, subject matter. The whole idea is he's thinking about Vicky, he's thinking about all these other women in his past, but he can't seem to bring himself to a climax. And out of frustration, he punches the wall and breaks his hand. Because every time he tries to think about. These women, women in his life, he remembers how he let them down. Oh, so see that would have given me something, but I don't. But you know what? Right. I would have been like, no, the fuck, no, right. the fuck, <laughs> no, because you do not. If if the that's and and so it's if like your dick is the only thing right. telling you that you're treating people badly. I can't. I, and so I can't. I. I, I I get they, they both said and Robert I love is, I love the thought uh-huh. of that right generally for a character right not this character doesn't work Robert doesn't make sense when he's asked about it he's like yeah and the yeah, fact I that Jake Lovato was still alive during right. this thing yeah. and they're ta- and he's on say he's a consultant on the I don't film. think he would have gotten the, gone for it they're like not this motherfucker right. no. That is way too introspective. That is way too but understanding again, about Paul his own whole idea about Absolutely. torture. That is a great character thing. Right. It is not this character thing. Right. But this character is not one that I want to watch. I would rather watch whatever Paul Schrader was doing. But mm. you can't call it Jake LaMotta because it's not this movie. Right. Exactly. So, and, and as I said, it's when he later on did other interviews, it turns out he was even worse than this. Um, Unsurprising, but uh, but yeah, I, I uh, it's there are parts of the film that I like technically, but I can't really get behind this guy. Yeah, it was it was. I think by twenty minutes in, I was like, oh no, this guy's just the fucking worst. And the the nice thing that they do do is start you in 1964 right. and you show, see how pathetic he is yeah. and then you see the first 20 say you're you're watching it you're you're 20 minutes in and you're like well he's not going to get better yeah 
because he's he's so aggressively he's such an aggressive asshole in 1941 and he hasn't lost the asshole he's lost some of the aggression mm-hmm. although I wouldn't cross him because he's mm-hmm. still a big dude who will fucking right. he this is a man who is programmed to punch first right. and ask questions fucking never because he doesn't care he's just gonna punch if you make him upset Punch, 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 punch. If you the wall in the prison, punch. Does it does it break my hand? Doesn't matter. I'm gonna keep doing it. Yeah. Because it's the only thing I know to do. <sighs> therapy, y'all. Therapy. Yeah. No, I just so it, overall you did not find this thrilling. I did. I didn't. I don't. I don't think it belongs on this list. I don't. think I so either. understand. I don't think so. How an argument could be made. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how that argument wasn't refuted and overturned and moved, and they moved on to something else. There are other movies that are not on this yeah, list. Yeah, I almost want that to. Absolutely, and we've discussed it in one. the past that I almost want to just choose for us to choose our own versions of what should have gone on this list. In right, terms of which we definitely can. I think we we right. should definitely do at the end of this. What would we add, and what would we replace? Yeah. You know, or what would we replace? Maybe. Yeah. Um, because there are definitely things where I'm like, how come we're not going to get into it now? But like, Mm. yeah, but this, this doesn't, this, this one and, um, Rebecca, I think are the two so far where I'm like, but there, there have been more. Well, I think that, um, the other one that you had an objection, not objection to, because in the case of the first two movies, uh, which would be Rebecca and the portrait of Dorian, or picture of Dorian Gray. That one, that's the one. It was it's the like, Dorian Gray one. We were both, I'm not sure that they're thrilling necessarily. Thriller, yeah, thrill, and that's the other thing is the word thriller is, there's thrilling and mm. there's thriller, and right. what are we doing here? Yeah. Because those don't even, those are not, a thriller is not really named for being thrilling. Right. So it's tricky, and I would argue in this case, it's neither of those things. Uh-huh. I did, the fighting was visceral, mm-hmm. but I did not feel thrilled at any time. No. Uh, uh, the credits rolling. Thrilled <laughs> that I don't have to do this anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of January. That's the right. end of our January. So what's movies. February? February is interesting because we're going to start in the 70s and then we're going to end, or then we're going to be in the, solidly in the 50s for most of the okay. month. And uh, I don't know the first movie. I don't What's even know what one? it is. I looked it up today and I was like, you yep, did not have any idea what that was. So the thing we're going to watch next week, number 50 on our list. Uh-huh. So we're entering the the best of the, the thrill, thrilliest of the thrills. Okay. Uh, Marathon Man from 1976. Oh, wow. All right. Um, which apparently has Dustin Hoffman in it. Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier. I, I don't know this movie. I don't know anything about it. I did see that it was based on a William and Roy Scheider, novel. As a matter of fact, yeah. Ooh, love of Roy Scheider. Uh-huh. It's from 1976. I know that it's based on a William Goldman mo- novel, which I'm excited about because I enjoy William Goldman's work right. generally. We just saw but Butch I, Cassidy, right? I know fuck all about this mm. thing. Um, so I'm excited to watch that. That's for next week. Um, it's on Showtime, you guys, if you um, want to watch it with us. Uh, so yeah, I th- and I think Paramount Plus too. I saw it the last time I saw it was about thirty years ago. I was yeah. taking a film production class, and that was and one of the movies recommended. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. And and okay. they're just like in particular. There's a couple of scenes in there which I won't spoil for you. 
Please that don't, are just I literally I'm going in super really fun. well written. You're like, oh wow, that was just really good. Okay, so I'm excited. So then then we head back to the fifties. So that's mm-hmm. our seventies, and then we're heading back to the fifties. For Ben Hur. Okay. Oh my god, that's gonna be hard. That's gonna be long. It's a very it's long, it long. long it's movie. a very long movie. So yeah, we're gonna maybe watch that over too. Uh, Dial M for Murder. Okay. Is that a Hitchcock? Hitchcock. I've never seen that one. Mm. I've never seen he any of these. Adapted movies. several plays, and that February was February is all new right. to me. This is the play, same play written by the same playwright who wrote Wait Until Dark. Ooh. And I like a Hitchcock right. thriller. Um, I thought I'd seen Dial M for Murder, but I had seen Strangers on a Train. So. <laughs> So I don't know what this one is. Uh, and then finally, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I thought we were going to watch the Donald Sutherland one. No, we this are not. is the original. We are watching the 1956 version uh, of the of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Is there somebody in that that I know? Um, I don't know if there is. Although, here's a funny thing. The gas station attended the movie, a bit player is Sam Peckinpah, when oh. he was still an actor. <laughs> And it's it's a really oh a god a man named Kevin McCarthy, but not the one we all know from now. No, he's an actor that you would recognize. You've seen enough. I definitely history. recognize him. Yeah, right. I'm seeing his picture. And um, Dana Winter, and she was gorgeous in this film. I remember <laughs> seeing it with, uh, God, years ago with uh, my friend Wanda Chen and her roommate, who was a young, um, sapphically inclined woman who just. Fell in love with Dana Winter. Like, oh my God, who is this woman? Where has she been all my life? Oh, interesting. It was very funny. Yeah. So that is what we're going to be doing. All right. So it's it's a a gamut. Marathon Marathon Man, Man, Ben Hurd, Dialing for Murder, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I cannot think of four films that are any more different. Yes. It's weird because we had... Pulp Fiction, Rocky, and Raging Bull, all of which that had boxing kind of mm-hmm. yeah, there's a boxing woven thing throughout, there, right? right? Um, and then now we're going to go into some stuff that is, every week is going to be like, and now for something completely different. <laughs> yes. uh, so that is February. And, and Ben-Hur's going to be, is going to be an, uh, uh, an effort. So next week, the mar- uh, marathon, not the marathon man, excuse me, marathon man. It's not... Um, it's not The Running Man, which is what I thought of originally. <laughs> I was like, isn't that called The Running Man? Yeah. Also, it's from the 80s. Uh, and it has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. It's based on Stephen King. This, this is not We this. already saw that one for this a whole is, other thing. This yes. is different. Marathon Man. Dustin Hoffman. He's got beautiful hair. He's got, his, he's got his 1970s feathered long. I really like Dustin Hoffman's hair in the 70s. I just do. I think it's a real good look. I, I'm not, it's, I, right. it might sound like I'm kidding. I don't. I think it looks good on him. Um, so we're going to watch that. I don't know what it's about, you guys. <laughs> I'm I, I won't spoil it for you, but Is it's it good? good? Am I going to like it? Yeah. It's a good movie. Not like the one we watched for this week. No. Which was a, no, uh, no. This is a movie where you Which can... was not, a, I'm going to say Raging Bull is not a bad movie. Uh-huh. I think it is a not well-executed story about a man who does not redeem himself. And if that sounds good to you... It's a character study. It's a character study. And but why do we... Why are we constantly doing character studies of mediocre men who think that they're not... I mean, he was good at what he did. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make him 
magical. Was, well, that's kind of what's interesting. He was only good at the one thing. There was yeah. nothing else that he was good at. No. And the one thing... And what he was terrible at there, was being a human being. There were moments like his whole thing of just lying on the ropes and taking all that punishment. I think that at times that it was like it was a form of self-punishment. Sure. I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. Yeah. But again, I'm reading into this. You're reading into that. Right. He doesn't know that. Right. So it's very hard. And I think Scorsese wants you to think that. Right. But I don't think Jake LaMotta thinks that. Yeah, I don't know. So either. it's almost like because LaMotta was on set as a consultant, mm-hmm. like Scorsese can't put the masturbation thing in there. He can't right. put... He, but, I mean, LaMotta's granted, like not going to do... Like, not gonna granted, that would also have like changed the kind of nature of the I film, too. I would have veered violently to the left. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... I think the problem was it was a weird kind of material that nobody knew quite how to handle it, and this this is the way that it came out. And as films go, it's actually an interesting film, but it's one of those things that, yeah, I've been there. I don't need to go there I again. don't. Yeah, I don't. Uh, here's what I never need to do again. Right. See this movie. <laughs> um, but I watched it for y'all, so you're welcome. She loves you. Next up, we're saying Marathon Man. Uh-huh. In the meantime... Do you have anything that you want to recommend? We haven't been watching things. I haven't been watching. <laughs> I, I I had something in mind and then I completely forgot what it was. Here's what I will recommend because what? I was I just stumbled upon it. I had a Kill Your Darlings Day. And I learned about a new podcast, and there's only six episodes of it out now, and it looks like it's being released maybe like every three weeks or so. I don't know what the release schedule is, but it does seem like it's going to be ongoing. And it's called If Books Could Kill, which is a fantastic title. And it is um, two journalists talking about where America gets its dumb ideas, Ah. largely. So they talk about, the first episode is about Freakonomics. The second episode is about Outliers. Um... There's an episode about oh Bobo's in Paradise, uh-huh. um, the game, that pickup artist book, the population bomb, and the secret. So those are the six episodes that are out. Mm. Um, I've read Malcolm Gladwell's books. I've not read the Freakonomics books, but I have read Malcolm Gladwell's books, and I forgot that sometimes, yeah, he'll just say something. With no fucking things to back it up at all. And it's like, oh no, I thought that this thing was true, but it is clearly not true. So what they're doing is they're, they're the, the premise of the, the thing is to see yeah where America gets its dumb ideas right. and where they're looking is airport books. The books that you pick up at an airport because you forgot whatever. And nonfiction specifically, we're talking about nonfiction, right? So, um, and then they're just sort of breaking down what's wrong with the idea of a th- 10,000 hours. And they, oh, you mean if you practice at something for a long time, you get good at it? Like, yeah, duh. Right. Like, if you really think about that for any length of time, yeah, fucking duh. Um, so, like I said, I like Malcolm Gladwell. It's a kill your darling situation, but I think it was good for me. And the and the podcast is really interesting. Um, they have a lot of they're they're really funny together. Uh-huh. Um, they're not condescending. They're not like if you believe this stuff or whatever. When you read this, right. you're an idiot. They're just like, 
okay, he says this, and then he literally just moves on and doesn't back it up. And it's like, oh, yeah, you can't just... Right, right. You can't just do that. Um, So it's not a takedown situation. It's just bringing up, hey, we kind of all know that there are problems with these things that now sort of culturally we've come to just take as shorthand and they're right. they're not don't do that and i really like that so um the uh, it's called if books could kill it's available on all your podcast uh apps probably on whatever you're listening to right now this is a podcast too okay now you <laughs> i can i was trying to think oh. of something and i cannot i don't think i've actually watched much. anything no i haven't stephanie's been hogging our tv <laughs> not really we've both been busy doing yeah. work and things and yeah so there's been a lot of japanese uh dramas and stuff on our tv but uh, yeah which I is fine yes. <laughs> i uh, i saw the menu yeah with you and our roommate stephanie who both of you are foodies yes and, and when this movie started i will say i was like put it on when i get a bounce i'll bounce because i thought it was different than what right. it is and i Spoiler alert, uh-huh. minor spoiler alert for this movie. If you think it is in the um, vein of the cannibal movies that have been coming out lately, see um, Bones and All, and there's like, there's been a run on, and The Invitation, yeah. I think, has either cannibalism or vampirism, which is kind of like cannibalism, sort of. Is vampirism right. cannibalism? I don't know. We don't have to get into it. Okay. But it felt like there was a spate of cannibalism movies, and then there's this movie called The Menu, and it's introduced as a horror satire, and I'm like, well, that's going to have cannibalism it's in a minute. Very... It does not. It, yeah, so I, struck, I was it waiting It's very for... funny. <laughs> it's, um, but it was that... very funny, very satirical. This is more satire than horror. I think mm-hmm. there are horrific moments, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't call this a horror film. Right. I wouldn't. What do you think? I think that horror is a very elastic term. Sure. And we use it for <laughs> a lot of things. And so it, it I think I've mentioned that here if before. If you said, I want to watch a horror movie, mm-hmm. or if I said, I want to want to watch a horror movie, would you say, the menu is your thing? No, you wouldn't, I don't think. But it, it's, we need to come up with a new term. Well, of course Is we what do. I'm saying. Because 75 we, new terms, please. We don't have, okay, what do... The Exorcist and Val Luton's Cat People and the original Godzilla all have in common. They're they all, all have, horror films. I don't. Is the original Godzilla a horror film? Yes. You it's a horror so? film. It's, well, it's, it's classified it's, as a horror film. It's classified as such. Right. Do you think it's a horror film? It, the I'm first one is you. actually closer to horror than anything else. Okay. The one from 1954. It's, it's very creepy. Is it closer to horror than any other Godzilla film? Yes. Or closer to horror? Like that's the genre that fits it the best. Right. That, that both? They, um, those are different th- Those are different No, no, things. the second... Uh, it, it's, it gets classified as horror because it is, you know, destruction on a mass scale, and it's this... It's, and then right. there wasn't such a thing as kaiju film. Right. The, <laughs> which the, is This is kind of the film now. that came from... You know, that yeah. term really comes from this. Um, but the first film, he is very creepy and very scary and very kind of... And, and so... The idea that all three of those movies, as widely different as they are, one's completely subtle, one is a science fiction film, really. Okay. And the other one is a straight up, you know, vomit in your face, spinning head. All three of those come into the same category. There's really something wrong about how elastic that definition is. So 
in this film, it's less of a horror film and more of a thriller, I would say, or a suspense movie. Although those but aren't largely really... Largely, it's a satire. Largely, it's me, very... Most it's, satire right. falls into that. And it it's funny. Like it is actually genuinely funny. I, uh, yeah. Especially if you know many foodies or people who <laughs> love cooking, there are some real great yeah. pointed bars. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I was like, ooh, hey, I see you. Please don't call me out like and that. It was food. very, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun movie, and I really like the cast, too. I really enjoyed uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt and Ray Fiennes and Judith Light's in the film. And yeah, it's yeah, Judith Light is in the film and she says like four things. It's very weird. <laughs> but she's in the movie. She she's a lot in of it a lot. You acting. see a lot of her face, but right. she's not saying a lot. So yeah, it's a really it's an interesting film, sort of poking at the pretensions of something as subjective as food. Yeah, and yeah. then at the same time poking at the people who indulge in it and the people who are there for the status of being invited to this private island. Yeah, there, so like nobody nobody who interacts with a $1,250 a plate right. restaurant, which is what this is, mm-hmm. uh, gets away smooth no, here. There are, no. there are different people there for different reasons with different agendas. Yeah, different agendas. And, and um, There's three young men that are there just to be seen. And they're ignoring the meal and talking about their own private business. And that there's the older couple who has shown up at this gentleman's restaurant, Refine's restaurant. Um, They've been there like 11 times right. before, but they don't have any recollection of the meals, even of though meals. it's explained every time. And finds there's a, an interesting kind of skewering of chef culture. Yes. In that they, there's yes, bit, yes, when you look at it from the outside... It is two steps away from yes, master. It like, looks like you're a cult. in the, yeah. the chambers yeah. of Shaolin or something, mm-hmm. where these people will die for you to protect you. Yeah, <laughs> and you're going, but but they're cooking. <laughs> you know, like what's yep. that about? So Nicholas Holt is really funny in it. Yes. Anya Taylor Joy is quite good. Although I, 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 the way that she's acting in the beginning of this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, made me think that her motivations were vastly different than what they actually were. Right. I gave her a lot of backstory. And when you find out I, what her motivations are, I think she became more interesting because I, like, wow, this is the kind of character you don't hear a lot from. Yeah, maybe, but the, I mean, the caginess at the beginning is very right. odd. The the woman that plays the assistant, the hostess. Oh yes, yeah, I so love funny. her. She was in Homecoming, and she's. And in Watchmen. Fantastic. That's right. She's fantastic. Mm. I love her. I love her. I've loved her in everything she's done, and I can't right. wait to see her in more things. She's she's so good. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. I was literally like, put it on. I will be bouncing when it gets too much for me, and then end credits. Oh, I guess. I guess not. <laughs> so, The Menu. It's on HBO Max now. Okay. All right. Next week, Marathon Man. Y'all, I don't know what this movie is, so. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Watch it with us. Is it like a, um, is it a thriller? Is it a thriller? Is it an actual thriller? Yes. I mean, more so than than many of the movies we've watched, there's uh, scenes of suspense and there's scenes of Is uh, it like a political thing or like a. It's kind of political, yes. Okay. All right. Awesome. So. Um, we're going to talk about that next week. In the meantime, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, sort of, 
uh, at Latecomers Pod, and you can find us on Facebook, Latecomers Podcasts, in the search bar. And until next week, I would like to remind you, please, please take your medicines. Well, we'd like to remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.